we are going to continue a series I started last week called Ode to Joy. And um, last week we talked about the foundations of joy. And today we're going to talk about having eternal perspective. And um, here's what uh, we covered last week. Um, Two points. Point number one is this. God is a happy God. Now, that's a strange thought for a lot of people. people. People have said, I've grown up my entire life in church. I've heard about that God is a holy God, that God is a powerful God. God is an omni-God, omnipresent, omnipowerful, omnipotent, and so forth. Even that he's a loving God. But I've never once heard that he is a happy God. Where, where is that? Well, in 1 Timothy 1 and in 1 Timothy 6, Paul speaks of God this way. He speaks of the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. And that word makairos, it's the same word that you find in the Beatitudes. Blessed are or happy are the poor in spirit and so forth. Um, It's an adjective that really could be translated the happy God. Um, God is a joyful God in the parable of the talents. When the people come back, they've doubled, two of them have doubled the investment. Here's the reward. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. So there's, so far there's two rewards there, right? There's well done, okay, the verbal reward. There's some kind of reward where where he is given responsibility. And then here's the last reward. Enter into the joy of your master. I mean, isn't the ultimate uh, beauty of heaven is that we're in the presence of God, and he's not a mean, grumpy God. He's a joyful God. Enter into my joy. Now, Your view of God affects everything about you. Uh, Tozer said, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And if you have a view of a God who's a... uh, Let's just put it this way. Anything less than happy, it is going to affect how you live. You know, speaking of the parable of the talents, remember there was the guy who was given one talent and he did nothing with it. And he came back before his master and this is what happened. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. That word is translated harsh elsewhere. I knew, I've heard, and the way I think about you is you're a hard guy. You're a harsh boss. Reaping where you did not sow. You are trying to collect 
where you never sowed any seed. Now, wait a minute. He was given a talent. Now, you go, what's a talent? Talent's a weight, um, usually in gold. And so the ESV study Bible was written about, what, 20 years ago? And the footnote says, uh, and the equivalent of one talent of gold, at least 20 years ago, was $600,000. So, what, today it's maybe worth, I don't know, 600000 to a million dollars. So what do you mean you're reaping where you didn't sow? He sowed, he gave him a million dollars, right? And gathering where you scattered no seed. He did scatter. This, this is a false claim against his master. He's not reaping where he didn't sow. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. Okay? Um, so, that was last week. Point number one, God is a joyful God. He is a happy God. Second point is this. God wants us to be happy. Now, um, I understand that this could be misunderstood to be the health, wealth, and happiness gospel. This could be misunderstood to be the prosperity gospel. The, the difference between what this is saying and the prosperity gospel is this. In the prosperity gospel, God is only the means to the higher end, to the higher idol of happiness. My highest goal is my happiness, and if God will get me there, then I want him. Well, that makes happiness ultimate, not God. The true gospel is this. God himself is the treasure. God himself is the pearl of great price that we're willing to abandon everything for, to abandon our idols for, and pursue him. And when we find him... Well, of course we'll be happy. So what's the difference between this and the prosperity gospel? Means versus end. Okay? So does, does Jesus want us happy? John 15, 11. These things I've spoken to you that my joy, okay, Jesus is happy, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Okay? So that was last week. If you missed it, um, Get it online. Today, we want to continue. And you say, okay, make me happy. <laughs> Help me to be happy. All right, we are going to uh, explore uh, happiness by looking at eternal perspective. Okay? I never really understood Dickens, A Christmas Carol, um, until the Muppets <laughs> did it. I mean, the, sitting through the old black and white thing. Now, my wife loves it. She can just sit through the old, the old black and white. I don't get it, the ghosts and uh, the British accent. But then, you know, the frog, when he does it, I, I get it. So here's the story. There's this perpetually negative, selfish 
miser, Scrooge, who lives in his selfish world until one Christmas Eve he's visited by three spirits. Spirit of Christmas past, spirit of Christmas present, spirit of Christmas future. Okay? And he is transformed overnight into a changed, happy, loving, giving person. Well, what changed him? The spirits gave him perspective. They zoomed out from his miserable life and showed him what life would have been if he had made different choices, how he could change life now, and what the future is going to be. And the big perspective changed things. So we're going to take a look. We're going to have a, take a look from an eternal perspective at three things. At church, at heaven, and hell. And my prayer is that we will be more joyful when we leave because we have put on the glasses of having an eternal perspective. All right? So let us first take a look at an eternal perspective on church. Anybody know who that is? Francis Chan. Francis Chan. And his lovely wife, Mrs. Chan. Mrs. Chan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Francis and Mrs. Chan, yes. So uh, he spoke at the Moody Founders Week a year ago before all this hit. And um, he began by talking about the fact that they, they lived in San Francisco and there's like all these awesome restaurants in San Francisco. And he would say um, that he and his wife are foodies. Okay, foodies are people who, you know, they love food. And they go to the different restaurants and sample different foods. And, uh, you know, over here we like the, the ribs over here. Uh, the steak is good, but uh, the, this filet, don't get it. And uh, try this. But uh, a foodie is a, a one who, uh, who has kind of a particular opinion about what food is good and what food is bad. I think we're all foodies, right? I'm a foodie, okay? Um, then he went on a mission trip, I think, to Africa. And he went to a village where people were literally starving to death. Walking skeletons. A woman was wailing because her baby had starved to death. And he said, coming back after, after observing that, he realized how unique we are as Americans to be able to not only have food, but criticize food. Right? And we can be, especially here in America, spiritual foodies. Okay? We have the luxury to be spiritual consumers. Well, I like the music over at that church, but the preaching, and, but the youth group is good here, but in the, oh, the nice new facilities, I like that. And um, I, 
by the way, you can get some fellowship there, but I don't like the people over there. I once had an argument with somebody. And um, by the way, you can get all your spiritual products online today with this podcast or this music. Or, and we are in control. We are consumers. It's, it's an Amazon out there of spiritual products, okay? Just being in America, it's easy to, to even unknowingly see ourselves as spiritual consumers and to see the church as a provider of products, spiritual products. A biblical perspective an eternal perspective is that you're not individual consumers of spiritual products. The church is the family of God. Okay? And we are to see ourselves as loving, caring family members, not as consumers picking products that meet our preference. First picture is, church is a family, and we are members of that family, okay? Um, you could put it this way. Church is not a solo sport. It's a team sport. And a huge part of being happy as a Christian is the joy that comes from serving other family members. Okay. Arthur Brooks is an author, and he, he writes this. Research has proven that if you want to be happy, serve others. People who volunteer and give become happier as a result because the key to happiness is to labor for the happiness of others. The key to happiness is to labor, to work, to sweat, okay, for the happiness of others. Some stats. A survey of 4,500 Americans revealed that of Americans who volunteered an average of 100 hours a year, you go, that's a lot. That's two hours a week, okay? 68% reported that volunteering made them feel physically healthier. 73% said it lowered my stress levels. And 89, 90% reported that it has improved my sense of well-being. Okay. When the Apostle Paul writes to the church, the Roman church, um, he says this. Having gifts, so every Christian has a spiritual gift, at least one, okay, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. You've been given a gift, but it's not a, it's not a personal gift. It's a corporate gift given to the church, and we are to use them in serving one another. Okay? You want to know why multitudes of Christians are joyless? They're comfortable safe, individual consumers who never 
labor for the happiness of others. Okay? The consumer water we swim in has come into the church, and I'm not saying the just value, just it's Americanism, and we're swimming as consumers, and I, I can't tell you how many people say, well, I, I don't go to a church, I click on this church, or I click on that church, but where's the concept of being a family committed to laboring for the service of one another. Um, the Apostle Paul in Philippians, I'm, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Paul's in prison, and he realizes that he has two options. One, they could kill me, or two, they could set me free. Right? And then in verse 23, look at what he says. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to part and to be with Christ. For that's far better. If I have the choice, I hope they kill me. That'd be better. I get to go to heaven, right? But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Okay? Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. Now look what he says. For your progress and joy in the faith. I'm going to be released, and God has me here for your progress and your joy in the faith. Now, a consumer says, make me happy. A Christian says, I want to make you happy. And guess what? In the process, they find themselves happy. Let me give you a, a, an illustration uh, of this. A while back, uh, my daughter called me, and uh, they live in Indiana, and she said, hey, Dad, could you do a magic show for the kids at my church? Sure. And I meant, sure, someday. <laughs> so then she called me up again, and she said, oh, we have the date. And she gave me the date. And I, I'll be honest, I thought, oh, no. This is going to take two days out of our schedule. It's four hours there, do the show, we'll spend the night. There's gas. There's, uh, of course, we'll take them out to eat twice. <laughs> it was snowy. It, it disrupted my, uh, my old man schedule, okay? Um, and I went and I did the show. And um, that little kid, that, that, I, that he, he was so happy. And then here's some other kids. Um, having a hilarious time. And then we got to spend time with, with Caitlin and Max. We went to the barrel, Cracker Barrel which, pretty high class, right? Um, as I look back over this last year, one of the highlights of the year was bringing joy to these kids. 
But I'll admit, the initial thought was, oh, it's going to require some effort. I'm glad I did it. Okay. Can I give you a, um, a Lent challenge? Okay, now we, we, we're, uh, we're an evangelical church. We don't, I don't wear a robe. I have been wearing a jacket. Have you known that? No. Um, but in a more traditional church, they, they practice Lent, which is from good, uh, no, from uh, uh, Ash Wednesday, right, until Easter. It's 40 days of giving something up. Um, now, when I was growing up, we gave up meat on Friday, which is fine with me because I love fried fish. And we lived up in Wisconsin. And they had Lenten special, all-you-can-eat perch. I'm like, yeah, Lent, right. Um, But rather than giving something up, can I give you the Lent challenge? Will you prepare your hearts and your minds and your family's schedules to be involved and to love and to use your gifts, and to serve the family of God. Okay? This is not a here's a clipboard, pass it around, we need volunteers. This is a, and I don't even have a specific thing in mind. I'm just asking, do you see that from God's perspective, he died on the cross to call out a people, and he makes them his family. And part of the deal is we experience the joy of God when we serve one another and they serve us. And if that's not part of church, we're not really doing church. We're going, but we're not being. So, and, and I realize you can't just go, shame, 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 shame on me, shame on you. No, we need to change our mindset. So will you take this Lenten season while there's snow on the ground, to think about how can we make loving one another a priority? Okay? So that's an eternal perspective on church. Let me, these, these next two will be quicker. Let me give you an eternal perspective on, on heaven. Realize pain-free existence is coming. Okay. Here, Revelation 21, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, and here, here you go, nor pain anymore. Physical pain, emotional pain, tax pain. No more pain for the former things of all eternity, a painless existence. Now, that's coming, but realize right now on this eternal line, we're living in the exception. We are living in this blip of time where there is pain. Okay? Sometimes really painful pain. Now, the Apostle Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 1.8, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, 
of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Now, we don't know what Paul's talking about here. Um, He does make a reference when he writes the Corinthians about his time in Ephesus. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 32, he says, What do I gain if, if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? Maybe. It's not in the book of Acts, but he was thrown in a cage with wild animals. Could be figuratively speaking, but to to call his experience with a battle with other humans as fighting with beasts, who knows what Paul experienced. You know, he does list a whole bunch of trials that he went through. Okay, Now, what he says, back to verse 8, for we were so utterly burdened, barao, burdened, beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. We were at the point where we just thought we were going to die. Okay? Now, remember the word barao, burdened. He goes on in chapter 4 to say this. For this light, momentary affliction, okay, remember he talks about affliction in verse 8, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight. We were so burdened, we were so weighed down that we thought we were going to die by these afflictions. Oh, let me step back and get the eternal perspective. These are light and momentary afflictions preparing for us an eternal barao, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. You know what he does? He steps back and puts current pain in eternal perspective, realizing right now whatever pain you have is a blip on the eternal timeline. Now, valid question. Why doesn't God just take my pain away now? Okay? If, he, if he's going to take it away one day, why not take it away now? Well, because he's using it. He's working it together for our good. And what's our good? To make us more and more like Jesus. And the more we become like Jesus, the more glory Jesus gets and the more joy we get. So, I mean, you're familiar with Romans 8, 28, but let me put it together with verse 29. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, and those, all the things that are working together are not just good things, but bad things, painful things, burdens where we go, I don't think I can make this another day. He's working that all together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Nothing's nothing's accidentally out of control here. Now, what's the goal? What, what's he, uh, what do you mean he's working it together for good? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. What did he predestine us for? Most people get caught up in that, that word predestined. They go, I don't like that. I don't see how it works. God's God, all right? He's predestining everything for your good, but what's your good? To be conformed to the image of his son. 
He's working that pain together to make you more Jesus-like in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In other, in other words, if he's the model, he is, firstborn means uh, the predominant one, the preeminent one, and we're becoming like him because that glorifies him. And the more we become like him, the happier we are. Okay? Um, I look back at our 32 or 3 years of 4, 2 years, 32, I knew that, I was testing you, 32 years of marriage, and um, I am glad I'm not the selfish husband I used to be, and so are you, right? You're happy that I'm not that same person? It makes me happy to grow up. Right? Becoming more like Jesus. I'm not there. <laughs> okay? But I can see some progress that makes me happy. But it was painful. Right? Who, who is it? Why would, why would they know? They don't watch. <laughs> they know who won the soccer tournament. Um, anybody know who that? Kids. Anybody, any kids know who that is? Lord of the Rings. He's got seven of them. Right? Brady won seven uh, Super Bowl rings. Um, and that's a moment of joy. But there was a lot of working out, lifting weights, and super strict dieting, and practice, and being sacked to experience the joy. God loves us enough that during this blip with a lot of pain, he's working it together. So we become more mature and more like Christ. There's a purpose to it. And the, the end purpose is joy. So hopefully we can step back and look at the, the blip of pain we're in right now. Where some of you are saying, I don't know if I can go anymore. anymore. I'm, my life feels like it's ebbing away. But God promises that he's going to use that to make me more like Christ. And that brings joy. All right, one last thing we want to look at, and that is eternal perspective on hell. So we talked about church, heaven. Now let's talk about eternal perspective on hell. Now, um, I believe hell is real, and I believe hell is eternal. There's a, there's a resurgence these days amongst people who hold to universalism or annihilationism or second chancism. Okay, universalism is everybody's going to be saved in the end. Or annihilationism is you'll go to hell, but you'll eventually burn up and go out of existence. Or second chancism is you go to hell, but 
When you come to your senses in hell, you get it. You get out. I just don't see it. I know the arguments, okay? But but what about Jesus saying, "And these, the goats, will go away into eternal punishment." And I know the arguments. You know, eternal. That word Ionis doesn't always mean forever and ever and ever. It could be just a long period of time. And punishment, well, the punishment is non-existence. I don't, I, I don't see it. Okay. I looked up Jonathan Edwards' sermon, two sermons. Edwards, you know, some people mock him and they say, oh, he's... A Puritan, uh, 1700s he lived. God used him to bring about a great awakening in the country. Um, And he wrote Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he also wrote, I don't know how the guy wrote everything that he did, but most theologians today in the know say he was brilliant. He wasn't a crackpot. And here is just a, a small excerpt from Sinners in the Hands of an angry God. It would be dreadful to suffer this fierceness and wrath of Almighty God one moment. But you must suffer it to all eternity. There will be no end to this exquisite, horrible misery. When you look forward, you shall see along forever a boundless duration before you which will swallow up your thoughts and amaze your soul. And you will absolutely despair of ever having any deliverance, any end, any mitigation, any rest at all. You will know certainly that you must wear out long ages, millions of millions of ages, in wrestling with this almighty merciless vengeance. And then when you have done so, When so many ages have actually been spent by you in this manner, you will know that it is but a point, a blip, a dot, to what remains, so that your punishment will indeed be infinite. In another sermon, he says, After you shall have worn out a thousand more such ages, you have no hope. You shall have no hope but shall know that you are not one whit nearer to the end of your torments. But that still there are some groan, or the same groans, the same shrieks, the same doleful cries incessantly to be made by you, and that the smoke of your torment shall uh, still ascend up forever and ever. You don't hear about eternal punishment these days, even in a lot of churches. Okay? I believe with all my heart that it's real. And I believe the number one thing you need to get straight is how do I avoid this? What must I do to be saved? And the answer is this. Believe on the Lord Jesus. He paid, he he went to hell for you on the cross. I don't mean he went down to hell. I meant, I mean he absorbed the wrath of God in your place 
And all who realize that they need him as Savior and trust in him, you are forgiven. And your destiny is no longer eternity in hell, but eternity in the bliss of heaven. Jesus says this, and this is what we're going to close with. Um, He sent out 72 of his disciples to preach and to do miracles and to cast out demons. And they came back to him rejoicing. Yeah, did you see that? We, We slammed that demon, right? And you know what he says? He says this. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Well, what should we rejoice in? But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I think looking at the torments of hell and realizing we're not going there because we trust in Christ should produce happiness. If there's nothing else to rejoice in, rejoice that this this temporary, momentary suffering will soon be over and we will avoid eternal torment and we will experience eternal bliss because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. All right, let's pray. And worship team, you can come on up. Lord, we pray that as Scrooge was changed by perspective, that you would change us. Give us eternal perspective. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did on the cross. We pray that you would remind us of just the glories of heaven, the painless existence, being in your joy. Lord, I pray for those who may not have placed their faith in you. Use this reminder of the torments of hell to wake us up so we flee to you and trust in you so we don't have to worry about eternity. Holy Spirit, do your work amongst us and may we be a happy, joyful people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.